Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Intentional Living series, which talks about approaching every day with purpose. It is our hope that this series would help you in your walk with God. Please let us know how God has impacted you through these messages. Amen. I'm so thankful that the Lord Jesus came, and I hope that you, uh, hope that you know him today as your Savior. I hope that you are 100% sure that your sins are forgiven and that you're on your way to heaven. If you're, not, uh, if you're not sure of that, I'm thankful that we can look into the Word of God and we can find out exactly uh, what it means to have a relationship with God and what it means to know that you're right with the Lord and that you have all your sins forgiven. I hope that today would be that day for you if you don't know that. Well, Luke chapter 2 this morning and Philippians 2 is where we're going to be. And uh, we'll be there in just a minute, but you know, the old saying is that everyone has a twin. You ever heard that? Everyone has a twin. Of course, you know that that's not entirely true, uh, but there are times when you find somebody, and maybe you've been out and about in the community or, or in another city, and you walk up to somebody and mistake them as someone else, or you go up to them and say, you know, you look just like, and you tell them who they look like. Uh, this last week, we had on Thursday, we went over to Spokane to spend some time uh, with our, my in-laws, and uh, they wanted to take the kids shopping. So we were in a certain store, and I was standing uh, by a table looking at some books. And uh, as I was standing there, I kind of felt somebody just staring at me. And I was sorting through things, and I kind of looked out of the corner of my eye, and, and uh, there, was this, there was this other guy looking at his cart. Just, he's just, when he looked at his cart, he's just staring at me. And I just kind of made eye contact with him, and, hey, how you doing? And he goes, do you work here? I was Looked at what I was wearing, like, am I wearing a suit today? No, no, I'm not. I'm... No, I don't work here. He said, are you sure? <laughs> pretty sure. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I don't work here. He goes, oh, oh, okay. Because I saw you in here last week. I went, no, no, you didn't. This is the first time. Yes, I did. <laughs> I went, no, I didn't. I wasn't in here last week. I live in Moses Lake, and I, I wasn't in the store. He was like, but you were in Spokane last week and you were at the store. I know because I saw you. And for about a minute, I argued with, I was just like, no, yes. No, I wasn't here. Yes, you were. You were in the store last week. You almost wore the same thing. I saw you last week. And finally, by the end of the conversation, he just goes, well, then it's settled. You have a twin here in Spokane because I swear I saw you last week. And just kind of walked away. I was like, Okay, well, tell my twin I said hi, you know. Uh, you've probably been in those situations. I know I've been in situations where I walk up and I'm like, listen, you are a spitting image of, of so-and-so. And uh, there's been times I've had guest speakers here in our town. I think of Brother Kurt Skelly. We were getting coffee one time and uh, we were getting coffee. And as we were getting it, he's just staring at the, the uh, barista right behind the desk. He's just like, this is crazy. It's crazy. And he pulled a picture out. And he said, look at this. Look, this is a, a young lady in our church. And that, they, were, they were identical, just looked identical. You know, there's times in life when you probably find somebody, they look like somebody else. But have you ever been around somebody when they actually try to look like someone else? Maybe you grew up at, at a time when, uh, when they were doing like twin days at school. You ever do that growing up? You know, you have Spirit Week and they'll do Twin Day. I remember they did one Twin Day and as a smart aleck, I, I, this is hard for you to believe, but I was kind of a smart aleck growing up. Um, but I wanted to, this is in high school, I think I was a junior in high school, and I thought, you know what, for this year for Twin Day, I'm going to dress up like our principal does all the time. 
And so I, I wore a suit and, uh, and I, I bribed our principal to wearing a matching tie as, uh, as me. And of course, people thought I was sucking up to him, but really I was just trying to be a smart aleck. And uh, it, you know what? You dress up, you be uh, sarcastic that way. I think in college, there was these two guys that they did a twin day and they dyed their hair pink to be twins. They both wore white shirts and red ties and they dyed their hair. It was supposed to be red, but it came out pink. And uh, needless to say, they never dressed up like twins again. You know, <clears throat> there's times in life when people would swear, oh, you, you resemble somebody, or maybe you try to do it. This morning, we're going to come to the book of Philippians and also Luke chapter number two. We're going to jump into the Christmas story, our series of intentional living. And what we're going to discover today is that there is somebody that we are supposed to look like. There is somebody that we're supposed to resemble. Of course, you've been, if you've been in church for any length of time, we're going to discover that we want to resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we want our life to look like Christ. We want our life and our, our not just our, not, not our appearance, but our spiritual life and our walk and our countenance and our outlook on life. We want it to look just like Jesus Christ. When you go to the scripture, there is time and time and time again when uh, the authors line out for us characteristics that you and I are supposed to incorporate into our life to be like Christ. I can think in the book of Colossians where it says to put on mercy like him or compassion like him. But when you come to the book of Philippians, the Bible tells us, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, one specific thing that you and I need to put into our life to resemble the Lord Jesus, one characteristic that really is kind of above all the rest that will help you resemble Jesus. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So stand with me, if you would, as we come back into our series, Intentional Living. Uh, we've been learning and uh, figuring out how we can take uh, the uh, uh, principles of the Christian life and apply them into our everyday living. You know, we know things like I, I know I should be an encouragement to other people, but what does that look like on a daily basis? So we've talked about being encouraging, intentionally encouraging. Recently, we've been in the Christmas story, figuring out things that we need to intentionally or with purpose add to our life. I think about Mary. She was intentionally surrendered, wasn't she? Uh, she said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And how you and I, we know we should be surrendered to the Lord, but every day we need to wake up and give God that day. Lord, I want to give you this day. We looked at Mary, how she was intentionally surrendered. We look at the shepherds and how they intentionally shared Christ or spoke about Christ, that when they had Jesus, they wanted to give him to other people. And boy, in your life and my life, we know we should give Jesus to people, but I need to have that with purpose each and every day. God, who can I share you with today? Last week, we looked at some folks who are not necessarily a part of the Christmas story, but we kind of lump them in there as the wise men. And the wise men, they intentionally worshiped to ascribe worth to. And we learned last week just the simple fact that worship, uh, it affects my heart. My heart affects my actions. And so my outlook, my, my, uh, um, the way I live my life points to what's important in my life. And each and every day, I want to wake up and have intentional worship. I want to ascribe worth to God that day. Well, this morning, we're going to come back into this series of intentional living and I want us to look at this characteristic that we find in Philippians chapter number two. So if you're there in Philippians two, we're gonna read Philippians two and Luke two. We'll do it quickly this morning. Philippians chapter two, the word of God says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even or became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The characteristic that we're going to look at that we should resemble the Lord with this morning is that characteristic of humility. Humility. We find humility right at the very beginning of Jesus coming into this world. I want us to read just those first seven verses of Luke chapter two, and we're gonna look and expound upon this humility this morning. But Luke chapter two and verse number one, we read these words. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, to be great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know what? When you look at the birth of Jesus, I can see his humility right at the very beginning, right at the entrance of Christ coming into the world. And when you think about humility, boy, we need to understand that Jesus Christ gave us the example of real humility, of what humility and what a humble person should look like. And today, we're going to learn from the life of Jesus, from his birth all the way to his death, that the characteristic that he would desire that you and I would have in our lives one of them is this characteristic of humility. And so today we're going to learn about being intentionally humble. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our study this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Why don't you just take a moment and commit the next few moments to the Lord? You can ask him today, God, would you please speak to my heart? And then make the commitment, Lord, whatever you speak to me about, I'm going to listen to you. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day and thank you for the word of God. I thank you for the humility that you showed us and that you have called us to. And I pray that you would help as I preach this morning, Lord, that we would convey your word and that your word would uh, be very clear. I do ask you, Lord, that if there's someone here that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that today would be the day they come to know you as their Savior. I pray, Lord, for every believer in here that you'd help us to leave today with the challenge of resembling you and your humility this week. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I would say today that humility is probably something that we hear about regularly. But the sad truth is that often we think about humility uh, um, in the abstract. Uh, for some people, think about this, for some people it's easy to be humble in conversation, to talk about humility. It's easy to uh, um, be humble in just uh, um, 
kind of, you know, when you're going and you're presenting your, your case with somebody, you can talk about humility with the kids and you can maybe think, think that you're humble. It's, it's easy to have humility in the abstract where it's just a thought, but humility is not supposed to be just a thought or just a teaching point with a kid or, or just a conversation piece. Humility is supposed to be a very intricate part of your life and of my life each and every day. And as we start this morning, I just want to give you a, a definition of humility. And I've said the definition before. It's not a new one by any means, but I think it's one that has always helped me understand maybe the Bible concept of the word humility. And that's one man said it this way. The definition I like is humility is not thinking less of one's self. It is thinking of one's self less. All right, some people say humility. Well, that's where you, you know that you are not important and you, and you kind of they're, they're describing you think less of you. But the truth is that humility is not thinking that I'm worthless. Humility is thinking of myself less, that I am not the focal point on my mind. And so humility, it's understanding that life is not about me. We come to these passages today. We have a great example of humility in the Lord. He is a great example of this humility. And I want us to see humility in the life of Christ, not only at his birth, but all the way through it. When you think about the humility of the Lord, I want you to see, first of all today, that the place of Jesus' birth shows his humility. The place of his birth shows his humility. I won't spend much time on this because we've talked through a few of these things, but I just want to point out a few of the simple thoughts surrounding when Christ was born. You know, if you think about a king being born, we would assume that a king would be born in, in maybe a royal room or a royal hospital. We would assume that a king would be born to a rich family or a king would be surrounded by rich people and rich gifts. But when you look at Jesus, that's not what you find at all. I want you to think with me about the Christmas story, about what we just read in, in Luke chapter number two. We find, first of all, that Jesus, he was born in Bethlehem. All right, Bethlehem, it was known as uh, really a, a poor town. It was known as a shepherd's town. Bethlehem, the name means house of bread, and uh, that's not a very rich name, but Jesus, the bread of life, was born in Bethlehem. It was very uh, poverty-stricken town. You think about Bethlehem being that central part of Israel. You know, Israel's never really been respected. Israel's never been a nation that people are just thinking, you know, I wish I was a part of Israel. Uh, even in that time, it was very much looked down upon, and it wasn't even, uh, wasn't even observed, really, as a nation even during this time. And so here's Jesus, the king of the world, being born in a nation that didn't matter, in a town that didn't matter. Man, that, that's an example of his humility. Think about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, this uh, town of poverty where people are probably wanting to move away from, and yet Jesus is being born into. We learned last week that he was not only just born in Bethlehem, but he wasn't even born in a nice house in Bethlehem. He was born in a stable. It wasn't a barn. It was a hewn-out cave in a cliff uh, that Jesus was first born into, and I won't take time to show the pictures that we looked at last week, but that little cave that would just be a, a place that would house animals, this is where the king of kings was laid and spent his first night. He didn't get a royal bedroom. He got a, a cave. Well, he was laid in a manger. He didn't get a bed with nice, uh, comfortable blankets and clothes. No, he got a manger. He got a feeding trough with hay. He was laid in a manger, and 
The Bible says and tells us that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes or lint, uh, swaddling cloths, uh, burial clothes. He didn't even get proper clothing. He didn't get that nifty little outfit that they sell at Walmart for $15 for the newborn. He didn't get that. He got swaddling clothes. He got burial clothes. But then think about this. The first people or the, the, the first uh, 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 creation that was surrounding Jesus was farm animals. Here's the king of the universe. Here's uh, literally God in the flesh. Here is Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. And we see his humility, how he was born in Bethlehem, the city known for poverty. He was, laid in a, uh, in, he was born into a stable, a, a little cave. He was laid in a manger in a bed of straw. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And then he's surrounded by farm animals. I don't know about you, but when I look at the birth of Christ, I see that Jesus, he's a picture of humility even in his birth. I mean, he is God in the flesh, and yet he chooses not to be born to some rich family and not to be laid in some fancy castle and not to be uh, put in some uh, nice little bed. No, Jesus chose to come to the poverty-stricken area of Bethlehem, be laid in a stable in a manger surrounded by animals and wrapped in burial clothes. Being born in that stinky stable, I've talked before about uh, babies and uh, how many of you are germaphobes before? And we've talked about that, man. I'm a, I don't like germs. I don't, I don't like when my hands are dirty. I, my mom can tell you, when I was a kid, I took two or three showers a day. I just did not like being dirty. And uh, Brother Dan would always throw mud on me, and I had to go take a shower again or something. <clears throat> but you know what? Uh, can you imagine uh, you moms, you moms that are germaphobes? You know I mean? People are like trying to hold your baby, and you're like, have you sanitized? Not just your hands, all over. Don't breathe too close. I heard you cough. Don't do that. Man, every mom would say, well, I have that right. Can you imagine Mary on this day? Man, laying this baby in a feeding trough, wrap him in swaddling clothes. And yet we know that this is what Jesus chose. That humility, that, that lowly little manger and yet he placed himself inside of this stable. He slept his first few nights, not in a palace or in a home or even a nice hotel room, but in a feeding trough on a hillside, comforted by burial clothes and the noises and smells of field animals. The place of his birth, it shows us his humility. I love what one man said about it. That lowly manger was a holy of holies because Jesus was there. Man, here we have the God of the universe, and yet that little manger is the holiest of holies. Why? Because Jesus, God in the flesh, is there. I see this morning that the place of his birth shows his humility, but I want you to notice also the people around his birth show his humility. The people around his birth shows his humility. First of all, we need to know that his parents were, by all worldly uh, means, his parents were nobodies. Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph. Let me give you just a few thoughts of what we know about Mary and Joseph. They were not famous in any sort of way. They were not special in any sort of way. We would probably classify them as a, a lower class in society. We first meet them living in the town of Nazareth. Now listen, you think Bethlehem was known for poverty. Nazareth was known for poverty. Nazareth was known uh, just for only one Roman garrison that would be nearby. And it was kind of the other side of the tracks, so to speak. People would, did not want to go to Nazareth. People didn't think anything good could come out of Nazareth, and yet that's where you first meet Mary and Joseph. We know that there are nobodies living in Nazareth, that other side of the tracks. 
We know that Joseph, he was a lowly carpenter. He didn't even have a good job. Now, a carpenter nowadays and someone who builds can probably make a decent amount of living. But back then, uh, man, a carpenter, uh, just kind of a low caste, if you will, in society. It was somebody that was looked down upon. And Mary, just a little teenage young lady, about 14 or 15, 16 years old, looked down upon for her age. Not only that, we know that they're looked down upon because of the birth of Jesus, because she uh, became expecting before, before they were officially married. And of course, that wasn't through Joseph. It was through the Holy Spirit of God. And when you look at Mary and Joseph, they were kind of the low end of the totem pole. We know, we know they were very poor. We know that because of Luke chapter 2. The Bible tells us that they were fulfilling a principle taught in Leviticus 12. Leviticus 12, 8 says this, uh, If she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, uh, the one for the burnt offering, the other for a sin offering, that after a lady had a baby, that she was supposed to present a sacrificial lamb uh, for the child and, and all of the pictures that went along with that. But it says if, if she's too poor to bring a lamb, then she can bring two turtles uh, or two young pigeons, two turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And I want you to notice what Luke, 20, Luke 2, 22 and 24 tell us. When the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him unto Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves or of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So we know she's poor. So here's Jesus, right? He's choosing uh, which family he should be born to. And the Bible tells us that he chooses the poor family. What's that? I think it's a picture of humility. Man, it's Jesus who humbled himself. And we know that Mary and Joseph were poor. They were there at his birth. But we also know some other people were there at his birth. The Bible tells us that the first, uh, of course, Mary and Joseph were there. The Bible tells us the first people to come to his birth were shepherds. Now, we looked at the shepherds two weeks ago, uh, this low class of people. The shepherds absolutely looked down upon by society. They were nobodies. And as a matter of fact, when you read in Scripture, they're even nobodies in Scripture. They're unnamed. Did you notice that? The nobody, no, none of the names of the shepherds. Now, we could have read it was Shepherd Bob or Shepherd that Bob's not really a Jewish name, Shepherd Jehoshaphat, you know. Uh, we could read some of those names, but we don't. We just read the shepherds, the lowly shepherds, the unliked shepherds, the unknown shepherds. And yet, these dirty, looked down upon shepherds were the first people to know of his birth. They were the ones that the angels announced it to. It wasn't to King Herod. Hey, king, wake up. There's a baby been born. He's the new king. You're about to lose your throne. No, it was to the lowly shepherds. Mary and Joseph were there. The shepherds were there. We know that shortly after his birth, some other people began to find out he was born. One of them was a man by the name of Simeon. Simeon, you read his story in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35, that on the day when they bring Jesus to the temple for uh, the ceremonies and different things, that Simeon is an older man that's there and meets them and praises God that he saw the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. But when you go and you read the context of Scripture, the Scripture would probably let us and insinuate to us that Simeon was probably a widowed older man that has just been waiting around for the consolation of the comfort of Israel, for the Messiah to come. Some things about Simeon, we would know that he was just a simple follower of God, and while not much is written about him, we can know from the context of Luke 2 that he is no one special. 
He wasn't a high priest. He wasn't someone that was rich. He was just an old man that was waiting. You find Simeon there. You find the shepherds there, Mary and Joseph there. You find a lady by the name of Anna. The Bible does tell us that Anna was an older lady in Luke 2, 36 through 38. She's another one that would come to worship him. Uh, The Bible tells us that she was, in fact, an, an old widow lady. But then it also tells us that she was a prophetess. Well, prophetesses at that time were looked down upon. So here you have Jesus. Now think about this, and I want us to to catch the the, the theme of humility through his life. At his birth, he's born and put in the Bethlehem stable manger. We don't need to go through that, but that shows us humility. But then the people around his birth, he's born to poverty-stricken parents. He's born and worshiped by shepherds at first and by uh, an older man that's just kind of there and waiting. And he's born uh, and worshiped by this lady, Anna, this widow. I mean, really, that's definitely not what you would expect for a king. I mean, if you could choose your parents, would you choose the poor and unknown Mary and Joseph? If you were to choose who would recognize when you were born and when you arrived, no doubt it would not be the shepherds. It would not be a poor young couple, unnamed shepherds, an old man and a widow lady. That's probably who you wouldn't choose. And yet we see that Jesus He's no ordinary king. No, we see his humility. He's the savior of the world. His place of his birth shows his humility. The people around his birth shows his humility. But I want you to know and remember that the path after his birth shows his humility. Man, the, li- the very life that Jesus lived showed his humility. It was not just shown at his birth, but all throughout his life. Consider very quickly some of these details about his life. Jesus, you know where he grew up? Nazareth. That's that little poverty-stricken town that we just spoke about. Not only were his parents from there, but Jesus was from there. Here's was, here, this was people's perspective about Nazareth, and you've heard this before. John 1, 45 and 46, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip saith unto him, Come and see. I want you to pay attention to that phrase. Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? This was the perspective of almost all of the Jews during the time of Jesus' life. Hey, he's from Nazareth? Man, nothing good happens in Nazareth. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Name one rich person that's come from Nazareth, Philip. Philip, why don't you name one miracle that we've heard about that's taken place in Nazareth? Hey, Philip, why don't you name to me one, one leader? Why don't you give me one of our priests or rabbis or scribes that's come from Nazareth? Nobody, Philip. And yet this is where Jesus grew up. You'd expect him to grow up in the finest towns, the best of schools. I mean, we're talking a king. And yet he grows up in this town of Nazareth, and his humility seen in where he grew up. I see his life showing us his humility where he grew up, but I also see that, I see his humility in the fact that even his own siblings disliked him. You know, you think about Jesus, uh, some people kind of breeze over this thought, but did you know Jesus didn't have the best home life? The Bible actually records for us after Luke chapter 1, Luke uh, Luke 3, let me look real quick, I'll tell you exactly where it is. After Luke 2.52, 
um, and, and the last, those last few verses there, we actually don't read about Joseph, Jesus' father, anymore. You never read about him in Scripture. Many speculate it's because perhaps Joseph died in early life or an, early, an earlier death uh, because later on people say, well, his mother we know and his brother and sister we know. And there's not much mentioned about Joseph. There may be one, one or two other inferences about Joseph there in Scripture. So we have to know that he had kind of an a unstable home life a little bit. And to add to that, what made it even more unstable was he didn't get along with his siblings. His, his brothers and sisters, they actually made fun of him. Did you know that? Here's what the Bible records for us in their adult life taking place. Luke 7, 3 through 5. It says, His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Judah or Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. For neither did they, neither did his brethren believe him. Uh, here's what they're saying. Hey, it's feast time. Why don't you go and work your miracles, Jesus? Hey, Jesus, you're supposed to be this special sort of guy. Why don't you go ahead and just show everybody who you are? What were they doing? They were mocking him. They were making fun of him. Question, if this is happening in the adult life, would you assume that that probably happened all of growing up? I would. Now, this shows me a little bit of humility. Why? Uh, because if I was Jesus and it was my siblings, <laughs> thank you. You will respect who I am. Right? How many of you have siblings? How many of you will admit, you'll admit it, that at least one time in your life you didn't get along with your siblings? Okay, good. At least once. At least once. How many of you would say that there was just at least one time that you did get along with your siblings? I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. <clears throat> you know what? In life, listen, those of us who have siblings, and of course I have two older sisters very much older than me. Uh, one's eight years older than me. One's 11 years older than me. And I tease them about that all the time. But I remember growing up even with two older sisters uh, that there were some days that we just did not get along. Man, there were some days when, when they tried to get me in trouble, and there were some days when I did get them in trouble, and there were some times uh, when, I, when we got mad at each other. There were some times when I remember as a teenager just being, uh, I mean, now you're talking, when I was a teenager, my sisters were in their 20s, and me just being absolutely furious with them. And you think about that. If you were, if you had the ability to really get your siblings, I mean, if, if, it was in your power to, I mean, just humiliate them. Who's not going to do that? But Jesus. He didn't do it. He never, he never retaliated with them. Man, he was disliked by his siblings. I mean, if you're the king of eternity and your siblings are mocking you, I don't know. Would you be able to keep your mouth shut and not say something? And yet Jesus did, his humility. I see his humility in not only him being raised in Nazareth and disliked by his own siblings, but I see his humility in the fact that he was ridiculed by his enemies. Now his family's making fun of him, but also his enemies make fun of him. Luke 16, 14 records this for us about the life of Jesus. The Pharisees also, which were covetous, heard these things, heard all these things, and they derided him. They mocked him. Those who opposed Christ continuously mocked and ridiculed him, and yet Jesus never, he never got even with them. 
Think about the times when people were mocking Jesus and yet he just dealt with, with it. I think about John chapter eight, uh, the woman taken in adultery and the mockers there. I think about Luke chapter number five when Jesus said, thy sins be forgiven thee and people begin to mock him in times like that. And think about the other times when Jesus was falsely accused and people were saying, hey, you're working your miracles by the power of Satan. You walk with Satan and all of the ridicule that Jesus had time and time again. And yet we see his humility in the fact that he never responded in the flesh. Never once did Jesus say a vengeful word. Never once did he act out and react in, the, in a sinful way. Never once did he curse someone out. Never once did he slander them back. Never once did he punch them in return. He didn't gossip them in return. No, the scripture says he was reviled, and yet he reviled not again. I see this showing us his humility. The path after his birth, his life, shows his humility. We see it in not only where he grew up, but with those, his siblings and how they dealt with him, his enemies and how they dealt with him. But I want you to think about his humility and see it in those he called to follow him. Here's the king of the world, and when you look at the Lord Jesus, when he requested people to follow him, you want to know who he requested to follow him? Nobodies. They were just nobodies. Think about it, Levi, he was a tax collector, Matthew. Think about Andrew, Peter, James, and John. What were they known as? Just fishermen. They were just nobodies. But think about some of the closest followers of Jesus, these passages, Matthew 26, 6. When Jesus was in Bethany, he was followed by a man by the name of Simon the leper. Luke chapter 15, verse number one, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners, to hear him. Luke 5.30, uh, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And that was the complaint against Jesus and against his disciples. Hey, listen, if you were a king, real people would follow you. That was the outlook that everybody had towards him. I mean, if you, if you were a king and you could choose your followers, you probably wouldn't choose Levi, Matthew, the tax collector. You probably wouldn't choose a doubting fisherman. You probably wouldn't choose uh, people who uh, everybody kind of dislikes and looks down upon. And yet the Bible tells us this about Jesus, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. All of this, his, his whole life, his whole ministry, just as a great example of his humility. And the place of his birth shows his humility. The people around his birth show his humility. The path after his birth shows his humility. But can I just close with this thought today that the purpose of his birth shows his humility. The whole entire reason Jesus was born shows his humility. Here's the statement, and we know it. Jesus, he was born to die. That's the whole reason he was born. The entire Christ was born, the entire reason Christ was born into this world was to save us. He was born to die upon a cross to offer us forgiveness. I love how Paul summarizes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9 when he says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, though he that, that he through his poverty, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. You see, he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, might be made rich. You see, we need to know this morning, the scripture helps us and teaches us to understand, listen, Jesus was not a man who became God. 
That's what some false religions like to teach us. They're like to teach, and they'll say, oh, no, no, listen. Jesus was just a good man that exalted himself to become God. No, Jesus was not a man that became God. He was a God. He was the God that became man. He humbled himself. He put aside all of the riches of glory, and he who was rich became poor for your sakes. Why? That ye through his poverty might be made rich. And here's the simple fact that when you look at Jesus Christ, and when you look at that stable, and when you and I look at that manger, and we look, look at that little nativity scene, we can know that as while they celebrated life, God in heaven, and their God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, knew that they were celebrating death, that they were understanding that Jesus was born to die. That was the entire purpose of why he was born. You see, the Bible tells us the simple fact that Jesus was born for your sin. He was born to die for your sin. Every single one of us are sinners in here. Every single person in here has committed a sin, a trespass against God. You've sinned. You've done something that was against and is against God. We are born sinners. And the Bible teaches that because of that sin, we deserve to pay for our sin. We deserve eternity in hell. Someone would say, well, I'm not that bad. You need to understand that compared to Christ, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that our righteousness is as filthy rags before him. Well, I'm not that bad of a guy. According to God, every single one of us are absolutely filthy before him. But here's the great thought, and don't miss this, but you don't have to measure up. You're filthy, you're a sinner. I'm filthy, I'm a sinner. You don't have to cleanse yourself. You see, religion out there says, hey, cleanse yourself. You better do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Be here, don't be here. Make sure that you measure up. Make sure that you're washing your own life. Listen, when Jesus was born into this world, he was born, lived that perfect life, went to the cross, died on the cross, was buried, and rose again from the cross to show you you can't measure up. And I don't want you to try. I did it for you. And he took your sin and my sin upon him on that cross. And he was nailed to the cross, not for his sin, but for mine. That was the entire purpose of why he came, to die upon that cross. And on that cross, he was offering you and offering me complete forgiveness, saying, hey, you don't have to measure up. I'm doing it for you. Hey, you don't have to measure up. I'm dying in your place. Hey, you don't have to find forgiveness in what you do. You can find forgiveness completely in me. Hey, I invite you into a relationship with me. And that's what Jesus was doing when he died on the cross. He was inviting you and I to join into a relationship with him as our Savior. And I just want to tell you today that if you're here and you don't know for certain that heaven is where you'd spend eternity, maybe you've been a religious person. Man, a lot of people in here have grown up in religion. Religion cannot forgive your sins. Religion cannot get you to heaven. Go right to the word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Religion gets us nowhere. But Jesus gets us complete forgiveness and total redemption. He forgives completely and redeems entirely. Man, his whole purpose for coming shows humility. Why? 
would you die for you? I mean, would you, would you give your life for wretched people? And yet that's the entire reason Jesus was born. That's what we celebrate right now. He came and he did it all to show me that he loved me. He did it all to show me that I'm worth it. He was born in that manger, all of these things. He did it all because of his love. But I want you to understand that what we see through all of that is his humility. And Jesus put aside everything that was what you and I would deem as probably important. He put it aside and said, you're worth it. I humble myself. And he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So here's where I want to get to this morning and we'll be done. We look at the place of his birth showing his humility. We look at the people around his birth, that shows his humility. The path after his birth shows his humility. The purpose of his birth shows his humility. But I want to ask you just this question, and that's this. Do you show his humility? And do you show it? If you were to go back, and you don't need to, but Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, it says this. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What's the mind it's talking about? We'll go and continue reading. It's talking about the mind of humility. It's talking about the mind that says, I'll humble myself just like Jesus humbled himself. We're talking about intentional living in our series. And I know it's a little bit of a different series to be in and around Christmas time, but just one I felt like the Lord wanted us to look at because I believe that I could go around, and if you've known the Lord for any length of time, I could ask, do you think God wants you to be humble? Yes. It's a good thought. It's a good thing to teach our kids. Hey, 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 you need to know, son, life isn't about you. It's not about you. At work, hey, listen, it's not about you. And it's a good, it's a good conversation piece. Right? Oh, yeah, Jesus wants us to be humble. Yes, yeah, pastor. And I work, I work at humility every week. I really, I work at humility. We're humble in the abstract. It's a good thought. But I wonder, are we humble in the application? Do we apply humility to our life? You see, we know the principle, humility needed in life, but do we apply it? You say, well, pastor, how do we apply that? I'm really glad you asked that question. I knew you were thinking it, so that's, I'm gonna answer it. Because we can apply humility to our life by looking at this passage in Philippians 2. But before I show you that, let me give you one man's explanation of what we read in Philippians. I love it. Paul traces the steps in the humiliation of Christ. Number one, he emptied himself, laying aside the independent use of his own attributes as God. Number two, he permanently became a human in a sinless physical body. Number three, he used that body to be a servant. Number four, he took that body to the cross and willingly died. What grace and what humility. From heaven to earth, from glory to shame, from master to servant, from life to death, even the death of the cross. Now, what a powerful statement. Helping us just see life to death, even the death of the cross, all about humility. You see, in your life and my life as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, humility must be something that we choose. Well, how do I choose it? The same way Jesus did. 
Notice this and we'll be done. If I am going to go through my days with intentional humility, number one, I must understand that I've got to be selfless. Here's the phrase. Philippians 2, Jesus made himself of no reputation. Hey, life's not about me. Be selfless. You know, be intentionally humble this week. What a great week. I think this. What a great week to think about humility. Because here we come to Christmas. In the abstract, oh, kids, it's all about Jesus this week. But come Tuesday morning when you're opening the gift that you didn't necessarily want, what's it going to be about? Listen, I've been there. You open it as an adult. We open the gift and we go, <laughs> Thanks. In the back of your mind, you're thinking, this is all I'm worth to you? This is what you? Don't look at me like that, because you've thought it before too. Man, because sometimes Christmas week comes around, and in conversation, it's all about Jesus, but in action, it's all about us. Man, if I'm going to intentionally humble, it's, I'm going to be selfless, making myself of no reputation. It's not I want people to know me. It's not I want people to see me and no reputation. If I'm going to be humble, intentionally in humility this week, I've got to be selfless. Number two, I've got to learn to serve others. The Bible says there in Philippians that he made himself a servant. Man, he came in the form of a servant. And it, you think about serving. I wonder this week who needs you to serve. Who needs you to serve them? Who needs you to put, a, put aside yourself and just Step out of that comfort zone and become a servant to someone nearby you. Serving others. Man, helping serve around the home, not just being served around the home. Made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. And then I think verse number eight in Philippians 2 shows us that if I'm going to go through my days with intentional humility, that I must be surrendered. Man, verse eight, if you look at there in Philippians chapter two, it tells us that he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Man, humility is shown by saying, God, what's your plan for my life? That goes back to our thought about Mary just a couple days ago. Boy, I love Mary, and I think even one of the simple characteristics we pointed out about Mary was her humility, right? Because the Bible says that she cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. I think that Jesus, in his physical form, I think he learned some humility from his own mother. Man, she taught him what it meant to be surrendered, what it meant to be selfless, what it meant to serve others. And I think about you and me this week. We know we should be humble, but what does that look like when it's lived out? Well, I'm not gonna make life about me of no reputation. I'm going to serve others. And this week, I'm gonna be surrendered. God, what's your plan for my life? I love how one man summarizes it by this. The person with a humble mind, does not avoid sacrifice. Instead, he lives for the glory of God and the good of others each and every day. And may you and I make this Christmas week about him and about others. May we this week, as we think about the birth of Jesus Christ, understand that his birth shows a humble Savior. You know, you talk about twins and talk about looking like somebody. I guarantee you, tonight it's gonna happen. Tonight, two people are gonna dress up like the same somebody. It's just gonna happen. But you know what? This week, this week, hopefully we would be like Jesus.
resemble Jesus, spiritually dress up and have the outlook like Jesus. What is that outlook? An outlook of humility. So my question for you is, will you resemble him this week? Man, will I go through Christmas week asking the Lord, God, help me to have humility, not just in thought and in conversation, but in every action this week. But maybe you're here this morning and the reason you can't resemble him is because you don't know him. And so I want to ask you a simple question. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? Are you absolutely sure that your sins are forgiven and that you have a relationship with God? You see, if you're here and you have never received Jesus as your Savior, what a wonderful gift you could give back to the Lord, the gift of your faith in him, asking him to forgive you of your sin and be your Savior. Quit putting your faith in a church, in a religion, in a baptism, in a person, in yourself. And today, make the decision, I'm gonna put my faith entirely and completely in Jesus alone. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. And as we come to a time of invitation, I just want to present a couple of questions to us with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. The first question today is, for those of you that you know for sure you're going to heaven, if you're here and you'd be honest, Pastor Dennis, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I know that I'm going to heaven. My faith has, is in him completely. And I remember the time when I trusted him as my savior. If that's you today, would you slip your hand up as a testimony? Pastor Dennis, I know that. Just right up and right back down. If that's you today and you raised your hand and you know Christ is your savior, would you make a decision, Lord, this week I'm gonna live with humility. It's not just gonna be a thought or a conversation piece or a teaching point. No, this week, this week I'm gonna be selfless. This week I wanna serve. This week I wanna be surrendered to you each and every day. Maybe the decision you need to make is, Lord, I'm going to put on that humility. But then maybe you're here and you'd be honest. You'd say, Pastor Dennis, I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you by name, but I would like to pray for you. And if that's you today, Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. You just slip your hand right up and right back down. Pastor Dennis, would you pray for me? I do not know if I died today that I'm going to heaven. Just right up and right back down. If you raised your hand or you did not raise your hand, but you would like to know Jesus as your Savior, in the next few moments, we're gonna stand and we'll invite you to come and someone will take a Bible and they'll show you how you can be 100% sure you're going to heaven. For all of us in here, if God's spoken to us today, let's respond to him. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd bless the service, the invitation right now as we come to the close of the service, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to respond to your spirit. Those that are in here that know you, Lord, I pray that you'd help each of us to have the, um, um, make the decision, have our mind made up today that we're going to go through this week with humility, that life is not gonna be about us, that our focus is going to be on you and on others. And then, Lord, for those in here that don't know you as Savior, I pray, God, that today would be the day. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.